Welcome to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast, sharing a rundown of tips and strategies to live healthier and happier in a fun way. Now, here's your host, Monica Olivas. Today, we're talking about egg freezing, getting pregnant, putting off getting pregnant, basically how to make a baby with a reproductive specialist. This is very important information we should all know. Whether you are done having kids, don't want kids, just don't want to think about it right now, it's getting more common for people to put off starting a family, but biology hasn't caught up with that yet. So we need to be mindful of that. And we should all know how our bodies work for our own knowledge and also to be able to talk about it with other people because I started to kind of think about this about a year ago and I actually did a video. I went to a consultation to look into freezing my eggs and I could not find a lot of information online about people that had went through this process, what it was like if they thought it was a good choice or a bad choice or whatever. And so I definitely want to share kind of my thoughts on it because it is very important and relative to me. But also, you might have someone in your life that at some point is going to struggle with, should I freeze my eggs or should I start a family right now? And even if it's not something that is kind of relative to you at this moment, I think It's important to be educated and have knowledge so that you can listen and talk with other people and we can all feel more comfortable talking about these things. These are our bodies and it shouldn't be something that is weird or shameful or embarrassing to talk about. So hopefully this will be informative and fun and interesting. And if you're new here, let me introduce myself. My name is Monica. I'm the creator of runeatrepeat.com, a site I started to document training for my first marathon and trying to lose weight. I ran that race, lost the weight, and much to my surprise, the site grew into a huge community online and now this podcast. So if you want more information, you can follow me at runeatrepeat on Instagram, and there will be a lot more info at runeatrepeat.com, including notes from this show. Now let's warm up. So I broke my tooth the other night and it was kind of random. I was just chewing gum and suddenly felt something like a little hard piece of something in my gum, spit it out. Turns out it is a piece of my tooth. What the heck? It must have cracked earlier. It obviously wasn't from the gum. This actually ties in with the topic of today with freezing I'm pretty sure I cracked my tooth because I like to freeze my nuts. That's kind of funny. That's like eggs and nuts. Anyways, um, yeah, cashews, chickpeas, corn nuts, chickpeas. I know it's not a nut. Um, But basically, I like nuts in the freezer because they are super cold, obviously. And I feel like it makes them crunchier, which I enjoy and prefer. And every time I go to my mom's house and raid her trail mix, which is one of my favorite things to do, I'm like, why don't you keep this in the freezer? As if that's the normal thing to do. Anyways, I lucky for her, actually, she doesn't put them in the freezer because that's how I probably broke my tooth. It was funny because he was asking me, he was like, what were you eating? Do you chew on ice? I'm like, no. And he was like, do you eat a lot of like nuts or other hard food? And I was like, oh, darn it. Earlier, 
in the day, I was eating corn nuts and chickpeas. There are these dried or roasted chickpeas from Trader Joe's that I love. These are already hard, crunchy foods, and I put them in the freezer because I like them even crunchier. Anyways, broke my tooth. And my first thought after breaking my tooth was, oh, crap, I have to go to the dentist because I just maybe two, three weeks ago finished my Invisalign and got the retainer for it and thought, I have a break from these people for a while. And I have had to go to the dentist every single month for the last year, over a year now, as I've been doing the Invisalign. And who wants to go to the dentist every month? Also, I have made the people in the front office hate me because every month they send me a text message confirming my appointment and they call me and I don't respond. I don't confirm the text message. They want you to reply and confirm or they want you to obviously answer the phone and confirm. I do neither of those things. And one time... One of the girls in the front asked me about it. She was like, why don't you respond to the text messages? I'm like, I don't know. I'm really bad. Like, I don't text my mom back. You want me to text you back? But it was just a very awkward situation. And since then, I feel like they kind of are not a fan of me and get frustrated with me every month. So after this whole going through this for a year, going there every month, not looking forward to it. They're not looking forward to seeing me any more than I am them. I was just very excited that I was more excited that I didn't have to go every month than I was that I was kind of done with the Invisalign, to be honest, which is it is what it is, right? So my first thought was, oh, damn it. I have to now call these people who hate me and say, hey, can I get an emergency appointment? Because I just broke my tooth because I'm an asshole who keeps nuts in the freezer. Whatevs. Luckily, they were very nice to me. Also, I don't have dental insurance right now. And that's the thing. So on top of having to go to the dentist and deal with the situation of fixing my tooth, I also have to deal with how much is this going to cost because I have to completely pay out of pocket. And I used to have insurance when Ben and I were together and he was working full time. He had medical and dental, and I was on both of those. So this was my same dentist then. And they asked about it, and it was kind of awkward too, because with Invisalign, you just you pay, right? It's not covered by insurance, even though my dental insurance has been did pay for a good amount of it, which is why I even did it. I can talk about that another time. But now I don't have insurance and they don't really know why. So they asked both the front desk girl and the dentist because he was like, oh, the last time you got, I think I've had to get a crown before, which is what I have to do this time to fix it because there was a filling and a piece of my tooth both chipped off. So I need a crown. And he said something about the last time I got a crown. He was like, you had insurance and why don't you have dental insurance anymore? And so I'm like there as he's like putting the chair back. That's my putting the chair back noise. And I said, oh, well, yeah, I used to have it through my husband's work and we're getting a divorce. It was just like, and I know like he felt awkward. It was just like, there's no other way to say it, you know? So yeah, but Luckily, they are very nice to me in spite of my refusal to text, much like everyone in my real life. So 
I've got that going for me. And I'm getting it fixed. I have to go back in two weeks and do the crown. Um, But for right now, I can live my life normal with whatever temporary situation they have in here. And I actually did an Instagram story when I broke it and asked if anyone was a dentist. You guys are awesome. And there are a good number of dentists out there that messaged me because I was like, hey, can anyone hook me up? Because I don't have insurance. Um, But they are giving me a discount because I think they feel bad for me, which is undeserved, even though I did start crying hysterically. And I did go in pretending like my mouth was bleeding for extra drama. I did not do that. I did not. I was trying to be very professional. I'm going to try to be better so that they don't hate me, especially because it's a really nice office and they have Wi-Fi and they have the Food Network on, which I'm a fan of. So I'm going to try and mend the relationship with my dentist. Speaking of dentists and TV, a few years ago, I was going to another dentist and I usually make friends with the people that are at any random place I go to because I am an oversharer and I am friendly and I like to talk to people. So I felt like I kind of knew this girl. She was very nice to me. It was just, it was awesome. I really liked her. I don't even remember why I stopped going to that dentist. Anyways, one night I am watching HGTV and I think it was Flea Market Flip, the show. I see her on the show and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so funny. So I called the dentist's office. It was at night. It was like on a weekend I knew she wouldn't answer. Like no one would answer. It would just be the voicemail, but she checked the voicemail and she would usually call me back if I ever left a message for to change an appointment or whatever. So I called and I was going to leave a message saying, oh my gosh, are you on TV right now? Like, are you on flea market flip? How weird is this? I call. She answers. I don't know why, but she was having the calls from the office forwarded to her cell phone. And so I call her. I don't know where she was at home, at a bar on a Friday night. And I'm like, hey, I'm watching you on TV. And she's like, who is this? And I was like, oh, Monica. And she knew right away. Um, And I think what happened was she sometimes forwards the calls from the office to her phone. And we have the same area code. And I think most people, I live in Orange County, but my area code is like a Long Beach area code. And she's the Long Beach area code. So I think she thought, oh, maybe I know this person. It, the number looked familiar. So she answered. And it was me just saying, hey, I see you on TV right now. And I did not expect her to answer. So that was kind of weird. I felt like I was calling her at home. I was calling her on her cell phone to tell her that. And I'm basically just some girl that went to the dentist office. I would like to think that she kind of thought we were friends as well. Anyways, we should get into the main event. <music> Before we get to the interview, I want to share an update on my journey thinking about freezing my eggs. And just a heads up, it's often called fertility preservation. So egg freezing, fertility preservation, those kind of go hand in hand if you're doing research yourself or see information online. About a year ago, I did a video called Thinking About Egg Freezing, and it's on YouTube. I will put a link to it in the show notes so you can check it out. And it's kind of ridiculous. I haven't watched it since I made it, really. But I didn't really plan out what I was going to say. I I kind of was just talking off the cuff. Like, I just wanted to share where I was in that moment because I had kind of just found myself 
officially single. Previous to this, my ex and I were going back and forth. And I think that we both thought we were going to work it out. I think everyone around us thought we were going to eventually work it out. And it was official. It was done. And so I had to deal with all of that. And that's complicated when you are, of course, getting out of a very long-term relationship. And it's also complicated when you are living with someone and when you're married to them, dealing with divorce paperwork and someone moving out. There was just so much involved in that. And up till this point, I thought I was going to be with this person for the rest of my life. And so when we were ready to start a family, we would just go for it. There was no delay in when I was ready, let's just go. Turns out I am going to have to start over. And I realized that and I forgot something had come to my attention. I don't know if it was someone that I had talked to or something that I had seen, but thinking about egg freezing got on my radar somehow and I decided to look into it. And so I did a video. I think I did it right after I went to the consultation. So I actually went to see a specialist in egg freezing and do an initial exam and kind of ask some questions and find out how much it costs. And I did this video of my thoughts right after. And part of why I did it is because when I first thought, hey, I should look into this, I started to look into it online. And I found a lot of kind of factual info or places that can help you with this. But I didn't find a lot of personal stories. I didn't find people talking about the process of this and whether or not they thought it was a good idea or a bad idea or whether they were so happy that they did it or kind of thought that they didn't really need to or weren't happy with the process. I wanted to hear from and talk to and reach out and connect with women who had done this or who had decided not to. And there's not a lot of that online right now. And so I think that's part of what motivated me to do the video, just to talk about it. I still haven't froze my eggs at this point. I am still thinking about it, but I'm glad that I did the video. And a lot of people have asked for follow-ups on it. Like, have you done it? What was the process? If I do it, I will completely document it and talk about it because I think it is really important for us to normalize talking about our bodies and fertility and mental health and breakups and struggles and all of these things. Like, I always want to know with everything with me, and a lot of things are not, but I'm like, am I normal? Is this normal? And how the hell do I know if I am not reaching out to and connecting with other people that I can bounce things off of? And this isn't for purposes of comparison, because I think we should all do our own thing. But with something like this, with should I do this? Should I not? Have you done it? What are your thoughts? Are you happy you did? I want to connect with people who have done this. And there are a lot of message boards and there's a lot of information online, I think, about infertility, but not necessarily about this. And so that's a big reason why I wanted to do this interview today and also why I want to talk about this. Whether or not I freeze my eggs, I think we all need to get comfortable talking about this stuff because there's nothing wrong with it. And feel free to ask me any questions. 
If you have frozen your eggs or you have researched it or you have an awesome resource, please feel free and share it and send it over. And I also wanted to share kind of what my thought process has been and kind of why I haven't done it yet. I've done a lot of research and I've really thought about this a lot and went back and forth for several reasons. And I wanted to kind of share some of what I have found in thinking about this and researching it so far. One of the reasons I hesitate and have factored it in is cost. It costs close to $15,000 and it depends on where you go and it's anywhere from about 10 to 15,000, I would say. And that does not include the cost of actually using these. So that's just for freezing them. If you wanted to go back to that doctor and actually go to the next step of making them a baby in your body, that is a lot more money. So the cost, it doesn't end there. And it's a lot more in the next step. So that's a lot to take into consideration. And along with that, what are the odds that I would use them? And this is a question that I actually asked Dr. Barbieri because it's not plan A. After you freeze your eggs, this is kind of like a backup plan. But ideally, if you are to freeze your eggs and then get into a relationship with someone, doctors most likely would tell you to try to have a baby with them the old-fashioned way before trying to use the eggs that you froze unless there was any kind of outstanding circumstances, it's best to do it. And I think when I ask her, I call it the old fashioned way. Um, So it's not plan A. So after you spend all that money, it's kind of just a backup plan. It's not something that you're going to go to automatically when you are ready to go for it if you are trying to have a baby in a relationship. And also, I have thought about my family history. I have a little brother that is in high school. My mom had a baby when she was in her 40s. Does that mean I can? I don't know. But if it does, should I be spending all this money to save eggs if I don't need to? That has been weighing very heavy on me. Also, just thinking about a timeline in general and wanting to have kids around the time when my siblings are having kids and I have two little nieces, I want my kids to grow up with them. So part of me kind of thinks if this is going to be something way down the road, if I am freezing my eggs to potentially use in 10 years, do I want to do that? Am I going to want to do that? And how can I speak for myself 10 years from now? Ideally, I'm going to be a different person. You know, I I hope that I am older and wiser and better at that point. And I don't know where I'm going to be. When I went in for the consultation, I did some very kind of initial topical health tests. And it does look like I am fairly healthy and that all my reproductive situation is healthy and well. So that has factored into my thoughts on this as well. And I am just taking in all this information and research and thinking about it and praying about it and trying to make a decision. I do not have one made yet on any given day. It's kind of back and forth. I do know where I would go if I went because I have done two consultations and the second place that I went to, I really liked. I would really be happy going there. So I know if I was going to do it where I would. 
And if I was, I would definitely talk about it and share all about it. Because like I said, I think it's important for us to talk about. So overall, it's, it's just a really hard decision. And I think that sadly, money factors into it in a huge way, which is very unfortunate because I think if it wasn't for that, I would probably just go for it. But thinking about that and thinking about, you know, what are the odds? Like, it's not a straight up 100% investment that you are going to cash out. You don't know if you're going to cash out these eggs. Ideally, you might not even need to. So this is all just very heavy stuff that has been flying around my head movies. So that's where I am right now. And it is part of the reason why I ask the doctor that we're talking to today, a couple of personal questions about myself, but I think that it makes it potentially more real and relatable. These aren't hypothetical topics that I am talking about with her. And if you have any follow up questions, definitely send them over. I told her that we might have questions. So I might need to reach out to her again to answer them. And I will put the information for that in the show notes so you can check it out. I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Elizabeth Barbieri to the show. She's a board-certified specialist in reproductive endocrinology at Oregon Reproductive Medicine. She has extensive expertise in in vitro fertilization, infertility, and egg freezing, and she really breaks down the medical jargon into a realistic way to think about these often emotional topics, and I think it is a really awesome chat, so I hope you enjoy. I am very excited to talk to you because this is actually something that I is a hot topic in my life right now. And I have been listening to other podcasts about it and reading about specifically fertility preservation mm-hmm. and just realizing that this isn't something I've really thought about before. And it's really important. And I think a lot of women, a lot of people that follow me listen think I'm healthy. I take care of my body. You know, you don't really think that there is any issue for you. And this though is something that I think we just need to be very well educated on um, and just aware of, right. And just to be your own advocate and know what your kind of life plan is. And an ounce of prevention is always super important as well. But oddly enough, I don't think most of us are very well educated on basically how babies are made and why it's important to think about even when you're not making a baby. So to kind of start off with, what do we need to know? Like, what are just the basics of what all females should know on fertility and their body? Okay. Um, That's a big topic to tackle, (laughs) but I'll try and highlight the important parts. So, for women who have regular periods, and a regular period means getting your period every 24 to 35 days. So if your cycle is 28 to 31 days, that is totally regular and normal. That is not irregular because it's not on the exact same day every month. So essentially, mm-hmm. if you're getting your period every month, then you are ovulating, which means you have one chance to get pregnant every month if you are considering pregnancy. Humans are not very efficient at reproducing. And unfortunately, society um, has advanced and biology has not caught up. So we are our most fertile in our early 20s, which is when most of us have no desire to get pregnant. And we are not so fertile in our late 30s and early 40s when the majority of us are actually in a position with a partner or financially stable 
and savvy and want to get pregnant. In our early to mid-20s, we have about a 25% chance of getting pregnant per month per try. And less than age 35, you are considered infertile after 12 months or one year of trying. Again, one year of trying means 12 cycles of trying. So if you're in a relationship and you're not preventing a pregnancy, even if you're not actively trying and you're not having an accidental pregnancy, that's a concern. Alternatively, if you're in a relationship and you're trying to get pregnant and it's been over a year, it's time to see someone and get some advice. In women 35 and older, because we recognize the impact of age on chances of getting pregnant, we consider infertility after six months of trying. And in women 40 and older, we become concerned if there's no pregnancy after three months of trying. At age 30, there is around a 20% chance of getting pregnant per month of trying for the first 12 months. At age 35, it's about a 15% chance for those first six months. And at age 40, it's about a 5% chance. So there's definitely a noticeable decline that occurs over a time. I don't mean this. Yeah, that's like oh, a big decline. Yes. I know it's that's like it's a big decline. It seems from thirty to thirty-five. It's a steady decline, um, kind of noticeable one percentage point per year. And the way I talk to my patients, whether they're infertility patients or women considering freezing their eggs, I really look at their age and some testing to look at their egg health to see, do I think that they have the normal fraternity for their age? And therefore, we should think about freezing eggs at 35 versus 36 versus 37. Or is there a concern that they might need help despite their young age, and we should do something about it now? Mm -hmm. So I think it's just about being aware of what your options are. And the fact that in most couples, pregnancies occur rather quickly. And in someone where the pregnancy took nine to 12 months to happen, that's on the latter end of being normal. And oftentimes those couples may have trouble with baby number two. And I'm not surprised given how long it took to conceive baby number one. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of fertility in general, one of the questions I get often is what can I do to make myself the most healthy, whether to have healthy eggs to freeze or to get my body into a position that when it's time to get pregnant, I am in a good place. And the answer to this question is is probably going to sound pretty obvious. So some of the basic things to do are one, obviously no smoking. Everyone worries about smoking causing lung cancer, which is absolutely concerning. Smoking also kills your eggs. Women who smoke go through menopause two to four years earlier than women who don't smoke. So stop smoking. Hopefully most of your listeners are runners, so they wouldn't be smoking anyway. Right. (laughs) Um, Watch your alcohol intake. Some studies have suggested that couples drinking more than four alcoholic beverages per week may take longer to get pregnant. So an easy fix is just limit your alcohol. Obviously, if you're trying to get pregnant, there's no safe level of alcohol in pregnancy. So after you ovulate and potentially may be pregnant, stop drinking. If you get your period because you're not drink, drinking, I'm sorry, because uh, you're not pregnant, 
then have a glass of wine and try again. Um, <laughs> I tell that my patients all the time. They're like, I'm already doing that. I need to commiserate. <laughs> um, it's okay to have around one cup of coffee or some small amount of caffeine. That's not going to decrease your chances of getting pregnant. Um, healthy, ideal weight. Now, weight's a tricky conversation. There's no great marker of what is a healthy weight. We tend to use BMI or body mass index simply because it's a standardized number that we can look at. And women who are both underweight with a BMI less than 18 or 19 and women who are overweight with a BMI greater than 25 may take longer to get pregnant. Women who are severely underweight or morbidly obese can definitely take longer to get pregnant. Um, and again, we're just using BMI because we don't have a better standard. So my recommendation for patients is to try and have a healthy lifestyle at a healthy weight. Um, trying to get mm -hmm. pregnant is not the time to start dieting or training for a marathon for the first time. However, if you're an avid runner with good muscle mass and you get your period regularly, then just maintain your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And then try and eat generally healthy, balanced diet. There's no one special food that's going to improve your fertility rate or your egg health or your sperm health. Darn it. <laughs> that's yeah. what I was hoping. I was like, is there like something we could eat? Because we're already all pretty yes. active. I know. And that's the thing. So like, they're magic food. Most of my patients who come in to see me have already made all these great changes to improve their lifestyle and their health. So I don't have a lot to offer in that arena. Um, and probably similar to the women who follow your podcast, they've already made good, healthy lifestyle changes to get them in into this position to be able to running and to be healthy. So there's not a lot that they need to tweak. But the important thing to know is they've already done all the right things. For mm -hmm. women who are ready to actively try and conceive, it's important to start a prenatal vitamin. The key to the prenatal vitamin is folic acid, which is a critical building block of the fetal spine. So we want that to have that be in on board in your body before trying to get pregnant so that you have adequate levels by the time you might conceive. Mm -hmm. I always thought that women of childbearing age should be taking a prenatal vitamin. And I recently just, because people were asking me what supplements mm -hmm. I take, and I, I think I just showed, like, I take a, I don't know, a woman's multi, but it is kind of like a prenatal mm -hmm. whatever. And everyone freaked out. Cause like, they're like, you're pregnant. I'm like, no, this is what I've always taken. So it really should just be before, if you are planning yes. to start trying, you don't necessarily, everyone needs to take this. Like I'm maybe was a little misinformed. <laughs> I think that if you're planning to try and get pregnant in the next few months, now is the time to start it. If uh -huh. Monica, you have no desire to be pregnant for three years from now, do you necessarily need to have a, vitamin that has all the essentials of a prenatal vitamin? Not necessarily, but there's no harm in taking that one. Absolutely. Boom. Okay, good. You're already prepared. That is good. Right? You never know. You never know. Anyways. <laughs> or do you? Because to go back to your first kind of um, part of this, in terms of the percentages um, with different ages, percentages of getting pregnant likelihood, um, is that based on someone 
strategically trying? You know how some people follow their ovulation and they're actually tracking it? Or is this just in general for that age um, in any given month? That should apply to anyone having unprotected intercourse for that age in any given month. So the odds are better if you are trying to time it up and be mindful of your cycle. Yes, because that's an all-inclusive statistic of natural fertility per age group. Mm -hmm. That being said, someone having unprotected intercourse who's not tracking their cycle is most likely going to get pregnant within a few months, assuming they're fertile. And it's concerning for someone not tracking their cycle who's having unprotected intercourse who doesn't get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Does, um, you said we can kind of continue our activity level, right? You don't want to take up something new necessarily, but you can continue. So, that applies as well, as long as you do have normal cycles for, because I think I have heard of a lot of people who have cut back on running um, in order to try, mm-hmm. you know, to st- either where, you know, they thought it was going to be an issue or they were having issues with, you know, potentially their period, as long as it is maintaining your normal level of exercise, whatever it is that for the most part is okay. Yes. So for women who are physically fit, who still have regular menstrual cycles, it is totally fine to keep running at your normal pace. There are women marathon runners winning huge races who run pregnant. And I'm going to totally screw this up. Either Venus or Serena Williams was playing Grand Slam tennis pregnant. And they're fine. Their babies are fine. The concern comes in if you're exercising so intensely and your periods stop happening regularly and become irregular, or you stop getting your period entirely because you're expending so much energy through your exercise, mm-hmm. then you're not ovulating and you're not going to be able to get pregnant. And in that scenario, you need to decrease your activity until you get your periods back. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's so important. Like I think we all, cause your body is trying to tell you something, whether or not it is about family planning. You know, if your body is supposed to be doing a certain thing and it's not, I think you definitely need to take into account what you're eating, what you're doing. Um, we yes. all need to be aware of our normal. I'm very, very big on that. Um, when it comes to fertility preservation and thinking about freezing your eggs, there's so many factors, right? There's the physical and how old you are when the ideal time is. And of course, financial yes. Um, there's a lot that goes along with it. Is it, is there an ideal time? Is it just kind of the younger, the better, if you have the financial means to, um, when should someone look into that? And that's a great question. And you're exactly right. The younger you are, the healthier eggs might be. The challenge is if you had the financial means to freeze your eggs at 24, and then you met someone when you were 30 and had two babies, no problems. You're going to look back at your 24-year-old investment and think, why did I spend that money? Mm -hmm. So how do you find the balance? Um, And it's a really personal decision. There was a paper published about two years ago trying to look at this question related to age and suggested that 37 was kind of the ideal upper limit to freeze your eggs to result in a successful 
pregnancy in the future, and then women 38 and older to consider just moving forward with being a single parent and trying to get pregnant on their own. However, I counsel my patients extensively about what their age currently is and what the excess rate might be with freezing eggs at that age. Because if a 30-year-old woman does not want to be a single parent and is not ready to have a baby right now and does not have a partner, it's much better for her to freeze eggs than to make embryos with donor sperm that she may not want to use in the future if she does end up having a partner. Mm -hmm. That is a whole other thing in terms of thinking about making um, freezing embryos, right? Versus even eggs. That's just a ton. It's a ton. And it removes a lot of opportunity for women. And I think it's really important that women have a chance, whether that's freezing eggs at 39, that ultimately don't work, but then at least you try versus freezing eggs at 34. Right. Well, this is, um, and like I said, I have looked into this a lot and I've taught, I did a video about it. I'm not shy about kind of sharing my own story mm-hmm. when I realized last year I was like 33 and was realized I am going to get a divorce and this is where I am right in life in terms of my age and starting over. Should I do this? And I got a, um, consultation and, had to weigh these things out, which are huge decisions because it is very awesome if money isn't an object, because there is also the factor of, like you said, that's not, that's a backup plan because ideally it is, we'll try the old fashioned way. And if that doesn't work, then you have this option. And so, I mean, I think it would be hard to maybe ask you what the stats are, but what is kind of the likelihood? How often are people actually that are doing this at a younger age without, um, for reasons other than obviously, you know, like a cancer diagnosis or or reasons like that, just doing it by choice, coming back and actually using them? That's a great question because the utilization of freezing eggs has really increased in the past few years. But most of those patients have not come back to use them because they haven't reached the age where they want to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, of the studies done, majority of women who freeze their eggs end up not using them. I do think that there is some psychological benefit to freezing your eggs because if you freeze at 34 or 35 because you're a single or recently out of a relationship or have no future partner in sight, it takes the pressure off of dating because the first question on your date isn't going to be, so do you want to have children and when are we having them? Yes. It's more of let's get to know you. And after a few times, then we can have that conversation, but I don't have it to be on the forefront of my mind Yeah. because I did freeze my eggs, which is going to give me a chance to become a mother at some point in the future. Yeah, I agree. I think that the psychological benefits and that just knowing it is like a very, I mean, it's funny to say like this backup plan, this insurance mm-hmm. plan, but I think that that is such a heavy thing. It is a life or death thing. You know, it's life. Yes. And it's like, if this is important to you to know that there is, you have this option is awesome. But then also knowing that it, it's very expensive and, you know, it's a yeah. medical procedure. There's a lot that goes into it um, to kind of factor Absolutely. in. Absolutely. So when I see women in their young to mid-30s, I always do an evaluation. 
to look at their eggs, get a better sense of their egg health, and then counsel them on what success rates might be like if they froze their eggs at this age versus coming back in a year and freezing their eggs at a later age or two years from now so that we can have a good open conversation about what the timeline might look like. And I've definitely had some 34, 35, 36-year-olds who come in, appreciate the information, and then say, that's it. I'm going to give myself a year. And if I don't meet someone, then I'll come back and consider doing this procedure. Mm -hmm. So then at least you're armed with information, but you're not forced to make a huge investment right now. But you know you can if you want to. Yeah, it's an avenue to pursue. I am actually not familiar with um, egg health and what kind Mm -hmm. of tests are those to kind of see the health of your eggs? So there's no perfect external test to determine how healthy an egg is. Truly the best determinant if an egg can ultimately make a baby would be to do IVF and then do genetic testing on the embryo that results from that egg to see if it's chromosomally normal. And even then there's not a guarantee that it would make a baby. But from an external perspective, we test something called ovarian reserve which is looking at a woman's eggs and some hormonal values to try and determine if that woman has the same chance of getting pregnant as anyone else in her age group. And it's clearly an imprecise science. But what it includes is a vaginal ultrasound to look at the number of small eggs that a woman has every month. The ultrasound ideally is done between days one, two, and three of her period. I know that might seem gross. It's not gross to us as gynecologists. It's what we do all the time. But that's the best time in a woman's cycle to see how many eggs her body has recruited to grow that month. And we get an idea of what this egg number is. And is this number normal for your age? Or is this number low for your age? Suggested that you may have fewer eggs than other women your same age. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we look at some blood tests including a blood test called FSH, or follicle-stimulating hormone, estradiol, and a third blood test called AMH, or anti-malarian hormone. And then we put together these three blood tests plus the ultrasound results to paint a picture of what we think egg health is for that woman. Love it. I am like following so closely with this. What, um, how do the follicles, because when I went in, I had, um, an ultrasound, but it was, they just looked at the follicles. Yep. The follicles, which are the fluid filled structure. You can see on an ultrasound that has the egg inside of it. The egg is microscopic and you can't see it, but the follicle represents a. Okay. And so though, if you're not in that time period of the um of your period those days mm-hmm. when you're actually doing that ideally when you would do on the ultrasound yes. do, does that matter at all if they're not um because I feel like they counted the follicles to see yes. what were healthy follicles but I wasn't in that time period does that uh, assume that I don't know anything really yes so you could do this ultrasound at any time in the cycle it's most likely to be most accurate with the highest number of follicles between days one, two, and three. So if you came in to see me on day 12 of your cycle and you said, well, I'm in Portland, Oregon for this one day, I can't come back for an ultrasound. Can you please just do my scan now? I'll say absolutely. But we might not be able to get the best picture of the total number of follicles. So if we saw 20 follicles on day 12, 
because your body's already recruited that one big follicle to grow, it's going to be taking up some space in your ovary and not allowing visualization of other small follicles who might be there. Mm-hmm. So if you have 20 follicles on day 12, you might actually have 27 follicles on day three. And when you're thinking about freezing eggs, we want to get all of the eggs in that one month to grow. And we want to try and get an accurate sense of what that number is. And you're going to feel a lot better about being told you have 27 eggs rather than 20 eggs. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, completely. And that's awesome. And I actually, like I had, I, my follicles, I had a lot and I, and I was like super happy about it. And it made me, you know, just, you know, it's one of those things that all of these things you're kind of factoring in, into this decision. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that made me feel like I have a healthy situation, but um before we go there, I actually, because I didn't realize how much I didn't know about this until I went to an info session and they kind of explained because I know that you are born with the eggs that you will have. We're, we we yes. don't make more. Um, even to the point where a, a newborn, like a baby has a ton and is still losing them, right? Like it's yeah. um, just, I, I've learned a ton on that process specifically. And what I didn't realize was that in any given month, I thought it was just your egg, your body just has one egg that it kind of lets down. And then if it doesn't get fertilized, you have a period, basically. Um, and I thought then that you were stealing from your reserve of eggs to freeze eggs. And I'm like, but hey, like when, what if I need those? And I'm putting them in a freezer capsule, let's call it. Um, mm-hmm. But that is not the thing. It is that on any given month, your body is potentially letting down multiple eggs, but only choosing the the best one, right? To kind of let fully mature. Is that how it Correct. works? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So every month, your body picks a group of eggs, of which, well, sorry, a group of eggs that all start trying to grow, mm-hmm. of which we end up selecting just one to ovulate, which is why when we do get pregnant, we get pregnant with just one baby for the most part. However, the other 19 eggs in the running die off. Yes. The next month, you recruit another group of eggs. So egg freezing is just rescuing those eggs from one month that your body was going to throw out. It is not stealing from the future, as many patients ask me. Egg freezing will not put you into menopause earlier. We're simply rescuing those eggs your body was going to throw out. Yes. And I love that. Go ahead. I'd say the analogy I use that makes the most sense to my patients is think about brushing your hair. You brush your hair, you get a bunch of strands of hair in your hairbrush. You take those strands of hair and you make a wig. Making that wig did not just make you go bald. Mm -hmm. You rescued the cells your body was going to throw out. Yes. Yes. That is, I mean, really important because that was a big thing for me that I thought, well, I don't want to, you know, I want to use, I want to keep what I have if I only have a limited amount. And it is your body's going to get rid of them anyway. And you are actually saving them. Um, So I think that was definitely very informative and things that, again, I feel like we should know about our bodies and how it works. Absolutely. To choose to do this process, um, obviously it's, a, you know, complicated and very, very specific in terms of timing and shots and all of that are, is someone going through it able to maintain 
um, their normal lifestyle? Do they have to, you know, take off significant time from work or exercise? Um, how, how does that kind of impact life? That's a great question. And we spend a lot of time educating our patients so they know what to expect. In general, when you're going through the treatment, it takes about two weeks. You're going to be taking injectable medications every day. These medicines are the same hormones you already have in your body. So we're not giving you a ton of foreign substances that is make you feel all crazy. Most women are surprised at how normal they actually do feel. We teach you how to administer the medicines yourself. So that doesn't really impact your life. You come in for ultrasound and blood tests every other day. And these tests take about 15 minutes. And we try and accommodate our patients and do them as early as possible in the morning. So then the patients can just go on their way to work. So that's not super disruptive. In terms of the procedure to take the egg out, that's technically a surgery. So we ask patients to take that day off from work. So from a timeline, from a work perspective, it's really missing one day. From an exercise standpoint, we definitely ask patients to decrease their exercise. And if you're running regularly, I'd want you to slow that down or walk uphill on a treadmill, not so that you're not going to lose your physical fitness. But one of the side effects of the treatment is that your ovaries will become quite enlarged. And the more eggs you have, the better. But the more eggs you have, the bigger your ovaries are. And your ovaries become enlarged. They're at risk for what's called ovarian torsion, which is your ovary twisting on itself. And if you are jogging or twisting, that may make your ovary more prone to twist on itself, which results in a surgical emergency because your ovary is strangling itself. So we are somewhat conservative and say we definitely want you to decrease running or really vigorous activities for the two weeks you're on the medication because we don't want to put your ovaries at risk. Mm-hmm. And then after the process, how, uh, how long does it take for them to kind of go back down? In 10 days after the process, you'll get your period, at which point your body will be back to normal. Okay, Awesome. Yeah. And that's really important. That is a very, um, as runners, especially long distance runners, when we have an injury, everyone thinks like they can find a workaround or try to fudge it a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And when you realize how important and how serious it could be in a situation like that, like it's just important to kind of just share that because I I had heard that and it sounds very important and serious to kind of respect that timeline. Unfortunately, for most of my patients, they use exercise as a form of stress relief. And even though we try and make this process simple and straightforward and not stressful, there's a lot of stress involved because you're thinking about, oh, my God, I'm freezing my eggs because I'm single. And what does this mean for my future? And what if I don't grow a lot of eggs? And what if they don't freeze well? And then my one form of stress relief, my doctor just took away. Mm -hmm. How do I cope? So I talked to them about other forms of exercise. If you want to swim laps without flip turns or a stationary bike or even spin class without a lot of lifts or jumps um, and then walking on the treadmill just to keep your pelvis stable. Yeah. Can you walk outside? Is that okay as well? It's totally fine to walk outside as long as you're watching your pace so that you're not like, sure, I'm walking, but my walking is an eight minute mile. (laughs) As long as you do the speed walk a little (laughs) style. So I offer the treadmill because for women who like to run, if you set your treadmill at a pretty steep incline, you're still going to work out your lungs and your heart and feel like you're exercising without the jostling of running. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And I really like I am the hugest advocate about walking. I think it is such a stress relief. And it is such a good way to it's like the gateway drug to running. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like, it's just awesome. And you can do it with people you can get on the phone and catch up with someone. I am just a huge, huge fan of that. And I did want to kind of ask too about how stress factors in because I feel like it seems that ironically, it's like we're stressed about being stressed. Like you have to meditate and stress is really bad for you and it might hurt, you know, if you're just trying naturally to have a baby or some other aspect of your life, right? It's It has an impact on health. Does it have some sort of very specific though um, or proven impact on fertility? Proven is the right word to ask because it's really hard to identify and isolate the role of stress in difficulties conceiving compared to everything else in life. And I explained to patients that people with super stressful jobs are still able to get pregnant. Um, People who encounter road rage on their way to their appointment with me will still have a successful outcome. So it's really hard to isolate the role of stress. That being said, I encourage women to try and do whatever they can within reason to try and minimize stress in their lives. Obviously, you can't quit your job. You can't get rid of your mother-in-law. You can't do whatever super annoying and bothering you and that's causing some stress. But if you can find some time to meditate, if that's what you like, or go for a run with a friend, if that's what you like, or get a massage or acupuncture, find that one thing for you that you can do for yourself, that's going to be beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that. And I saw too that... um your practice offers acupuncture services. Yes. How does that benefit or um, what are the benefits of that? So it's a great question. The literature, so the scientific literature on acupuncture and fertility outcomes is conflicting. Some data suggests that it may improve outcome. Other data says it it doesn't make a difference. So there's no change in outcome. In Portland, Oregon, acupuncture and holistic um, treatment options are very popular and we want to be able to accommodate our patients' desires. So we offer acupuncture at the time of embryo transfer because there is some data to suggest that this may improve outcome, specifically by improving blood flow to the uterus. So we have acupuncturists on staff available to do IVF immediately before and after their embryo transfer, which is a procedure that performs here in our office. Additionally, I'll talk to patients about acupuncture if they're interested in considering it and give them recommendations of different practitioners to see. Granted, if the idea of getting poked with needles is not relaxing and you'd have to drive across town in rush hour traffic and pay for it out of pocket, acupuncture is probably not going to help you. Mm -hmm. But if you're open-minded to it, it's not a huge cost to you, you can get there, fit it into your schedule, then something you should definitely try. Yes. And they really, it's not like needles, like getting a shot. I've done no, it the before. needles are really small. Yeah. <laughs> it is really small. Yes. And I actually, I've done it before too. And I actually find it relaxing and I fall asleep when I'm getting it done. But I do have some patients who don't even want to see me as the doctor in the first place because they know I'm going to start talking about injections and they have such needle phobia. Mm-hmm. So in that patient, me trying to continue to encourage acupuncture might not be the best fit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I just, I, you know, what's funny is I did it for, I thought I broke my toe and I wasn't sure if it was like 
broken or it was just jammed or what. And I had tried like all these different natural methods. This is like a crazy person as a runner that I was just like everything. I mean, I just wanted to try everything to encourage it back to happiness at a faster Mm -hmm. rate. And I was, it didn't hurt. And yeah, and it was very relaxing. I was a fan for sure. (laughs) Very, very random. But I just, I thought it, it seems like a de-stressor, but I didn't know if there was anything beyond that. Would that be helpful at all for someone looking into fertility preservation? I think that if somebody who's looking into fertility preservation was open-minded about acupuncture, then I think it could only potentially help by improving blood flow to the ovaries. There's no data that it would harm your outcome. So if you are open-minded to it and want to try it, I would definitely encourage it. Mm -hmm. Does um, family history factor into fertility? Like if your mom had 10 kids, um, does that mean that you are more fertile than the average bear or um, is it just so individual? Yes, that's a great question. Family history can be suggestive of positive outcomes. For example, we know the best predictor of menopause is the age at which your mother went through menopause. So if your mom went through menopause at age 38 and you're having hot flashes in your regular cycles at age 35, that's definitely concerning. Alternatively, if your mom had your younger brother when she was 43, that bodes better for you um, in terms of trying to get pregnant. But ultimately, it's an individual determination. Okay. I just want to do some like referee goalie touchdown hands because my mom had a baby when she was 45. My little brother is in high school right now. Like it is, I'm like, it's, it's funny because it is such a, such a funny age difference. Um, and our little dynamic is very funny, but that's what I, uh, that's definitely factoring in to all of my thoughts and, and research on this sort of like, is that just a convenient narrative I'm telling myself, but yeah. No, it seems like between having a lot of follicles in your ultrasound and a mom who was fertile into her forties, these are good signs. Mm-hmm. I would never say, "Great, don't tr- try <laughs> until you're forty-two, but don't panic at thirty-four." Right? Yeah, like this is all information that we are just—it's fact-finding, right? And yes. yeah, I super appreciate it. I know I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything else you wanted to add before I let you go? I think that women should be encouraged to have an open conversation about fertility, fertility preservations, infertility, and have no qualms about getting help or seeking information, whether it's through their OBGYN or even coming to see someone like me, who's an infertility specialist, you would never turn anyone away. You don't have to fail for a certain amount of time before to come see us. We love simply talking to women and educating them about their current potential fertility status and what options they might have if they would ever consider in the future. Yes, I love that. Thank you so much. And I totally agree. I I want this to be more conversational so that we don't feel either way that it's, you know, there's no dumb question. Um, Absolutely. It's so important. It makes you feel so much better just to have that information, whether or not it is, you know, what you wanted to hear, you feel better, the more informed you are. I have the, um, the website, Oregon Reproductive Medicine.com. Um, and your Facebook and Instagram. Are you personally on any social media platforms or do you mainly post through um, or just share the uh, practices? Yeah, I post through the practice. I have three little kids, so I can barely keep up. 
I know that I saw a very, very, very cute video on the website of you. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes because it's adorable and they're super cute. And you with the stroller and everything. I love it. Yeah. And then put a face to the name as well. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Barrieri. I super appreciate it. I know, um, you are very busy. So thank you for taking time oh, out of your day. This is absolutely my pleasure. So thank you so much for interviewing me. I really appreciate it. And please let me know if there's any follow-up questions that we can help with. Thank you so much. Have a good one. My pleasure. Take care. You too. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Dr. Barbieri. If you want more information, you can check out the Oregon Reproductive Medicine website. I will put it in the show notes. This week, there's some homework. Your homework this week is to watch a movie. That's pretty easy, right? I am soon going to be talking to someone who has run the Barkley Marathons. And I saw a documentary about this race a while back. Just randomly, a friend who knows that I'm a runner said that he saw it and he was like, do you want to watch it? We watched it together. It was super awesome. He's not really a runner either. So I think it's something that someone that is potentially not super into running would enjoy watching with you, but I will put a link to it in the show notes. It's called the Barkley Marathons, the race that eats its young. And it's from 2015. It's a documentary and it covers this race. And if you notice, it's the Barkley Marathons. So it's marathons, plural. It's an ultra marathon trail race in Tennessee, where there are a couple of distances. It's a 60 mile run that they call a fun run, or the full course is 100 miles. And you have 60 hours to complete this race. But it's not just like a straight up course, I think it changes every year. And you have to look for a book along the route and rip out certain pages. It's, it's crazy. And you they don't even have an official start time. There's a lot. This is such an interesting, crazy race. I don't think It was either this year or last year because it's usually in April or May that anyone finished. Like there are some years where no one completes it in time. Either people get a DNF or they just get pulled off the course because the 60 hours is up. But it's insane and awesome and really interesting. And I don't think it's something that I would ever do because you have to know how to use a compass, which, yeah, no. I don't even want you to tell me if I have to find directions to somewhere north or south. Like, no, I am not Lewis and Clark. Okay. But this is a super fun documentary. Again, it's called the Barkley Marathons, the race that eats its young. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And pretty soon I am talking to someone who attempted to tackle that race. And most people do not finish. So realize that, like I said, I think last year, or this year, recently, no one finished. There was just like no, no finishers. So that is to put it in perspective. And the people that run this race are some of the best in the world ultra marathon runners. But if you have any questions for someone who has run this race after looking into it, if you're already familiar, you can send those questions over or watch the documentary. Let me know if you have any questions because that interview is coming up very soon. So I want you to kind of have that visual situation in your head as I talk to her because I'm very, very excited. She's actually a runner that is from Orange County. I've seen around. Um, I I kind of feel like we're friends. I don't know if she knows that, but 
I randomly at one point saw on her Instagram that she had done this race and thought, oh my gosh, I have to talk to you about this. I have been very curious and interested in just learning more and talking to someone that has done this because I think it is amazing and we'll see. So let me know if you have any questions or if you have questions for me, you can send them over. You can email me at runeatrepeat at gmail.com or call the voicemail line and leave a message. That number is 562-888-1644. And don't forget to tag me on Instagram. I am at runeatrepeat and let me know what you're doing right now. What are you doing while you listen? I find this super interesting. Robin Runs 912 was catching up while at work and Inked Mother Runner was listening at work too. So I hope you guys did not have that on speaker because sometimes I say some not sufficient for work words. You've been warned. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. Have a great run. Thank you for listening. For show notes, recipes, discounts, and more, go to www.runeatrepeat.com. You can also connect with Monica on Instagram by following at Run Eat Repeat and on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash runeatrepeat. Be sure to subscribe to the show and please rate and review in your podcast app.